Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or closing, he's in. A backhander and a slam by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Odyssey Chicago Hockey Insider, Jay Zawoski. Part of Blue Wire Podcast. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the Tays. A game-winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Rolling back, circle of drives, get the drop, The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Sins In-Law Group, let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, well-wishers, and acquaintances. This is the Mad Out Chicago Hockey Podcast. We are broadcasting tonight in the midst of a four-game winning streak by the Chicago Blackhawks. My name is James Nebo from NBC5. With me, of course, as always, is Odyssey's Blackhawks insider. He's the host of the I'm Fat podcast and overall one of the best dudes on the planet. His birthday's coming up, you know. It's Jay Zawoski. Jay, good to talk to you, buddy. It's been a uh, nice little run here for the Blackhawks, and we got plenty to talk about tonight. There is a ton to talk about, and it's nice to have kind of a positive podcast ahead of us here, and we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be our first full-length one in quite a while, and like you said, a ton to get to four-game winning streak, all that fun stuff. So thanks for tuning in. Make sure you're following us on social media. We're at MadhousePod on Twitter, Madhouse underscore pod on Instagram, or on Facebook, Madhouse Hockey Pod. Uh, what else? Oh, our T Public sale is going on right now. So if you want to get some Madhouse Pod merch, we also have some uh, NHL 94-themed shirts. We just uh, released a Marion Hosa holiday shirt. Oh, ho, ho, a ho, ho, Hosa shirt where he's uh, skating around with a candy cane. It's pretty funny. It's pretty cool. A couple people have jumped on it or that. So jump on that sale now. And the other thing I want to mention before I forget, I keep forgetting to mention this. This Saturday, the uh, the 20th of November, Evan Moore, author of Game Conduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It, Tab Bamford, who just wrote an illustrated timeline of the Chicago Blackhawks, and me will be at Bookies Chicago at 4 o'clock for a roundtable discussion on all of our hockey books so come and join us at bookies chicago it's on western avenue really easy to find 10324 southwestern avenue evan moore tab bamford and myself will be there uh, from four o'clock signing copies of our book and doing a q a i'm gonna also record that q a and post it as a madhouse podcast so if you can't make it uh, you still get to hear what we talked about it should be a really really fun time I'm super looking forward to it. But James, not as much as I found myself looking forward to watching the Hawks lately. I'm getting, I don't know if it's because they didn't play, you know, for so many days over the last week or so that I was really excited for last night's game. Maybe it's because it was the Kraken for the first time. But man, I'm starting to feel that feeling of getting excited for games again. And the way the season started, I wasn't sure if I would get there this season. So. If nothing else, that's good news. I'm in and I'm I'm back on board 
with getting excited about watching hockey again. Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head by saying that it was kind of a chore to watch Blackhawks games earlier in the season. I think that the old kind of play style under Jeremy Colleton was just always very chaotic and led to a lot of really bad outcomes for the Blackhawks, and we saw that game after game. You just had very little to no confidence they were going to come back in any of those contests, but it does seem that they're kind of playing looser now under Derek King. Um, they're, they're still having their issues, which I'm sure we're going to get into as we continue to talk about this game. But for the most part, I think that the thing that has kind of stood out about the Blackhawks games of recent vintage is that it's been a relative lack of gloom and doom, even if they start to kind of play poorly like they did at times last night. I, I still feel like there's more positive than negative that's been going on with these games, and that's been a very refreshing thing. Yeah, uh, there are – look, it's not – they haven't changed anything structurally. I've been asking no. people who know the Hawks system very well, like, hey, like, what are you seeing differently? And they're basically just saying they've been better in the neutral zone, cleaner breakouts – and the biggest thing, and I think we're sort of maybe overlooking this because we're looking at the final result, the goaltending has been way better. Mm-hmm. Marc-Andre Fleury is Marc-Andre Fleury again. And look, part of that is that he's not getting, you know, odd man breaks against him three, four times a period. He's getting easier shots to stop. But the goaltending has stepped up and um, the Hawks are just playing a more organized game, even though the system hasn't changed. And one thing I found interesting, James, was... Since Jeremy Calton's been let go and and people have been asked about, hey, you know, you guys are having some success under Derek King. Like, what do you attribute that to? And everyone sort of says they're just feeling more comfortable. They're feeling less nervous. They're feeling like they're not having to, for lack of a better word, like skate on eggshells. No one is flat out saying anything negative specifically about Calton as much as they're saying we're not out there having to think all the time. We're allowed to use our instincts. We're allowed to react. And you could tell they're just playing with more confidence and more feel. Look, these guys know how to play hockey. They've been doing it their whole lives. There's no reason for it to to have looked like it did early in the season. Like I said to you before, Jeremy Cullen's system was not throw a blind pass up the middle of the ice, turn it over, chase it, and then get caught flat-footed. That was not the system. They just weren't playing the system well. And I think part of that was them being in their own heads a lot. Oh, yeah, they were totally pressing. I think that is a huge component of it. We talk about the mental game of hockey all the time and how that can have a real a cascading impact on everything else. And I think that those guys were pressing for sure. When you don't hold a lead at all the first, what, six or seven games of the season, mm-hmm. that's going to eat at you a little bit. And you're going to hear all that noise from the outside about, oh, well, the Blackhawks had made all these moves and nothing's working. These guys suck. They can say all they want that they don't hear that kind of outside noise. I think they do to some degree, and I think there was some pressing that was going on, and I think a big part of the reason that Derek King has been successful so far is because his uh, ascension to the Blackhawks' job, I think, kind of represented a a clean slate for them. They kind of represented a uh, fresh start, a new book, whatever analogy you want to use. I think that that's ultimately what it boiled down to. And these guys have definitely been playing that way in recent games, kind of with that in mind. I also am too, I'm hesitant to draw too broad of conclusions about the changes that have been kind of present in the Blackhawks game, as opposed to their system. I still am hesitant to buy into some of that, strictly because of the fact that they have been playing, admittedly, weaker competition. They played Mm -hmm. a Penguins team that did not have Sidney Crosby on it. They played a Seattle Kraken team that is nowhere near what the Vegas Golden Knights were in their expansion season. They played the Arizona Coyotes, who really, really suck. They are quite (laughs) bad. Yes. Um, So they've had a pretty easy run of it, and I think that – Part of the something I saw many people mention when they fired Jeremy Colleton, and I mentioned I did mention this on a podcast, is they were entering a stretch of their schedule where they were going to be able to make some hay, where they were playing some lesser tier opponents. And when you look at the schedule that they've got ahead of them, starting on Saturday night in Edmonton, 
we're going to start to see the real Chicago Blackhawks and whether or not this whole thing is really significantly different or if we've just had the wool pulled over our eyes by some lesser competition recently. Well, yeah, and something to keep in mind, too, like the results have been good, but don't forget that third period against Pittsburgh where they were just on their heels the entire time. I think the second period against Seattle the other yep. night was very, Oof. very similar where it was like, what is going on? It, it was like, is this like a, va- a Batman villain cave where well, it's the literally slanted one way? Period, the, the Kraken had an 85% Corsi 4 in that period against the Blackhawks. That is absurd. Yeah, and I think part of it is, and we talk about the mental part of the game a lot, right? Like, I think part of it is, okay, we've got to lead Let's not blow it. And I think they're they're so used to blowing the lead that they maybe are like, okay, we have to protect this at all costs and sit back a little bit. And that's never the way to win. The Hawks are always better because they're built to attack. We talked about it before the season began that we expected most games to be 5-4, 6-5. They're going to be high scoring because the Hawks are an offensively uh, deep team and are not really built to defend a lead. So he's going to have to outscore people. Up to nothing. I know Seattle was struggling, but up to nothing is not a time to sit, to lay back and let no. the game come to you. They should have kept their foot on the pe- on the pedal. And look, I don't think that that's Derek King or Mark Crawford um, telling them to not play that way. But I think it's just in their heads. They're so used to leads getting away that they become a little bit tentative. And that's how that second period looked. They looked tentative. Then the third was a little bit better until with what was about three and a half minutes left, Seattle pulled the goalie and it was six on five, and then they were really sort of dictating the play there. And we can get into that a little bit too because I don't know how much I loved Patrick Kane on the ice defending an empty net. I know the the idea is he gets the puck and he puts it in the empty net from pretty much anywhere on the ice, Hmm. but man, the way that was going, that was not your typical empty net situation. That was a blitzkrieg. They were under duress the entire time when that net was empty, and uh, to me, I would have put probably a better defensive line out there. But look, they got the win. Who cares? Um, everything worked out. But don't let the great goaltending of Marc-Andre Fleury and the recent record skew your feelings about this team. There is still a long way to go. And that doesn't mean you can't be optimistic. That doesn't mean you can't be enjoying what's happening. Because like I said to start the show, I sure as hell am enjoying this. I'm looking forward yeah. to watching Hawks games again. And this next handful of games, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, St. Louis, this is a test. You've got the new coach. The excuses are gone, right? You're starting to get healthy. Caleb Jones returned. Uh, Tyler Johnson. And yet Eric Gustafson was still in the lineup. I know. um, Yeah, they played seven defensemen. Um, And then you've got Brandon Hagel, who is on the trip. So he must be kind of close-ish, hopefully. Uh, So once this team gets healthy, you're going to see, you know, with the full complement of players what they're going to look like and and this is a good this is a good test I think if you could find an ideal time to fire Jeremy Colleton they kind of did it they did it right before the schedule got soft they had a game was it that day or the next day after the firing so they didn't have a lot of time to think and dwell on it um got a bunch of games under their belt they're 4-0 now heading into this tough stretch with confidence uh, it's worked out really well up to now now is yep. the true test if they get if they get blitzed by Edmonton and Calgary, it's and the Blues and et cetera. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a reality slap. But look, if they take three of those four, or they took you know take five of the eight points or something like that, you got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I mean, if you you go out on a road trip and split points, that's generally a good thing. But I, I'm not holding my breath that they're going to be able to do that against the Oilers. They have been playing some really good hockey and. They obviously they have two of the best players on the planet Who? on the team that are really difficult to stop. But who's that? There has been a lot to the Blackhawks, and you alluded to Mark Andre Fleury earlier and talked about just how much better that dude's been playing. He was insane in the second period of that game last night. There were probably four or five what I would kind of classify as A plus chances in that period where the Kraken absolutely could have and by all rights probably should have scored and he stopped them or they hit the post. It was a goaltending clinic by Flurry in that second period last night and it's kind of indicative of the way he's been playing recently. I've really been liking kind of the turnaround that he has shown. And then the other guy that I do absolutely have to shout out because we kind of were 
you were a little bit more bullish on him than I was at the beginning of the season, but as of late, Seth Jones has been playing some phenomenal hockey for the Blackhawks. He has points in seven consecutive games, just racking up assists like crazy, and the best possession player on the Blackhawks last night. So he's getting it done on both ends of the ice. There are still moments where he doesn't look great on zone entries and is kind of he'll have moments where he doesn't make the exact right defensive play. But just with the athleticism that he's shown and basically being the only Blackhawks defenseman who's actually capable of moving the puck up the ice and creating potential offensive opportunities, he has been as good as advertised in recent games. And I've really been kind of liking the way that it seems like he's becoming more comfortable in the system, more comfortable in his role, and just really being an insanely productive member of that blue line. Look, I've been a fan of his since the signing was made, like we've said all along, we've sort of put the qualifier out there. Yes, it's too expensive. Yes, they traded too much to get him, but he's here. He's a number one defenseman. He is by far their best defenseman. He's one of their top three or four players. Uh, and I know there's just some people that are just dug in on Seth Jones because of some of the, you know, the the fancy little player cards that came out this summer saying that he sucked and he wasn't worth the money and all this stuff. Watch the game. Watch what he does with the puck. Watch what he does defensively. He does it all. He's second on the team in scoring. He's got, what, I think 16 points or something like that. I'm not sure if that's the exact number, but he's second in the team in scoring behind only Patrick Kane. Um, he is. He does it all. He moves the puck. He scores on the power play. He penalty kills. He plays 25 minutes a night. Like That's what you pay a number one defenseman to be. He's not Duncan Keith. He's not Nicholas Lidstrom, but those guys are generational. They're generational. This guy is a number one defenseman. If you watch the game with your eyes and with an open mind, you can see that every time. And the other thing to keep in mind about these metrics in hockey, this is not baseball where it's a series of one-on-one matchups where every little thing can be measured because there's no variables, right? Aside from ballpark variables, which are measurable. You know, you've got pitch, swing, pitch, hit, pitch, miss. In hockey, Seth Jones can be out there for a play that, you know, bounces off a skate and goes in or hits a partition in the board, or he's out there, you know, playing half the game with the fourth line because he plays half the game anyway. And that line gets blitzed, but it's not necessarily his fault. Like there's just, you can fall into the trap of falling in love with hockey metrics, which are of all the sports to me, the most imperfect because of just because of the randomness of the sport, it's really hard to quantify what matters in hockey. So for me, yeah, we always use that stuff to sort of evaluate how a game has gone. And I think as you look at the course of a game, it's a little bit better to see than players individually. But look, man, watch the game and you see why the Hawks, you know, went after Seth Jones hard, paid him the big money to keep him here for the next nine years. He's an outstanding defenseman. And whether or not you think he's elite or just, you know, second tier top defenseman that's fine but he is their best guy and he's going to be for a long time and uh, I think he's been terrific lately and uh, you're really starting to see him find his place on this team and find his uh you know he's starting to figure things out figure out his teammates and I think you're seeing a lot of the new Hawks start to kind of make that turn like Jake McCabe has been a lot better lately too you're not seeing him get stuck in between like you saw so many times before oh, man. Early in the season, that was just rough sledding for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, you had, we had so we talked about this earlier. There's so many new faces on this team that there is an adjustment period. I think we think of it as like sort of plug and play where guys just come in and they've played hockey their whole life and everyone just picks it up from Jump Street and gets it. Like, look, Marc-Andre Fleury struggled. Mm-hmm. That's that's a legendary Hall of Fame goalie. And, you know, typically you'd say, well, he's at the end of his career. Nope, he won the Vezina last year. So, you know, like that's not that's not really the case. He's still on top of his game, but it just takes time to learn your teammates, learn their tendencies. And uh, it seems like the new guys are really starting to figure it out now. Well, so are the existing guys. And I think that one of the best things that can be said about Derek King is that he basically recognized that the surest fire way to potentially create some offense on this team was to keep Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett together. And boy, howdy, that's been working like an absolute charm because Kane in the last four games, 
has a goal and five assists, has five goals and seven assists in the month of November since he came back from COVID, which, again, the Blackhawks just seem to have this kind of knack for bringing guys back from the COVID list, and then they just kind of explode production-wise. It's been kind of a very interesting phenomenon the last two seasons. It's continued now. And then, of course, Alex DeBrincat, who has just been otherworldly this season, once again proving that he's rapidly turning into one of the better players in this league, honestly. He yeah. has five goals already in the month of November, had another goal last night against the Kraken. Had the Gord- He had a Gordie Howe cat trick last <laughs> night, man. Had the had the fight, which he I think he won for the record. Oh, there's um, no doubt he won it. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, a goal and an assist. That he's just playing at such a phenomenal level and played at that level last season too. In a sport where so many guys get the contract and they kinda start to slack off a little bit and their production struggles. He's gotten his contract and he has really grown by leaps and bounds the last two seasons. I mean, there's a reason that he's play- he's played penalty killing time. There's a reason that he gets trusted in a wide variety of roles now. It's because he takes the craft of hockey very seriously and he's taking his game to another level. And it's just really exciting to see that he could potentially be the next face of the Chicago Blackhawks if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves aren't around at the end of once their contracts expire in a couple of years, you can see Alex DeBrincat potentially taking up that mantle, and he has man has he earned it with his play lately. Well, I'm glad you said that because that was one of the next things I want to talk about is you know as we sort of look at the next generation of the Blackhawks here and the way Alex DeBrincat responded last night to what was happening to his teammates. You know, Seth Jones getting pushed around, Taves getting pushed around, and Alex DeBrincat, of all people, is the guy who jumps in, and he's got two years left on his deal. So does Taves. So does Kane. And you can see Alex DeBrincat licking his chops because he knows this might be the next captain of the Blackhawks, right? If Jonathan Taves decides to hang him up at age 35, which given his history of injuries and things like that, it wouldn't surprise me if he would just retire or if the Hawks give him another year or two or whatever um, to brink it and, and Jones and doc are the next, you know, that's the next generation of this team. And it would not shock me to see the C on Alex to sweater. I mean, no. he is putting up that sort of, uh, you know, he's sort of sending that message and planting that seed of, look, I do it all. I can, I'm PK. I'm even strength. I can score. I can pass. I can, I can do everything you want me to do. And Oh, look, I'm going to stick up for my teammates too. That's captain stuff right there. Yeah. And while I don't want Alex to bring it fighting, I can't lie and say I didn't have a giant grin on my face when that fight ended. Can you can you kind of see the a similar progression of what Alex to has been kind of evolving into on the ice is what happened with Patrick Kane when he first came into the league. He kind of had that knock of being, I guess you would call it a little bit soft, easy to force off the puck not the most assertive guy in the world, but then as time went on, he kind of gained strength, gained confidence, did all those things and maintained that really speedy approach to play. And the numbers just kind of started to pile up after that. I kind of, I envisioned DeBrincat almost kind of taking a similar career arc. Is that, am I off base with that? No, I don't know about that. I I, I would take, I sort of take issue with the style of play because I mm-hmm. think that DeBrincat just plays this relentless like he's always fast, he's always moving, he's always bursting to the puck. Where Kane has always been a real cerebral kind of a peripheral player, and I think what got better about Patrick Kane and what led to his elevation statistically was picking his spots, getting smarter about the game, right? Like knowing when and where to do what, um, and also he's been relied upon to do more. Honestly, as sure. the, as the roster is is thinned out a little bit. But I think with Kane, he's just gotten so much smarter about the game. And we know, we talk about this often, how he's just a student of the game. But I think with Debrinkit, it has been almost a physical growth. Where, look, he's only 23 years old, came into the league very young, and and had to grow into his body, much like we're seeing with Kirby Doc right now. Uh, And now he's fully grown, and you're seeing with that muscle, with that strength. Because you could think, like, when Patrick Kane got drafted, he was kind of a newly spindly kind of a dude, right? Like he wasn't he was like real five jacked. Foot 955 pounds or something like that. Yeah. Patrick Kane is jacked now. He's still yeah. not big, but he is jacked. 
And I think, you know, Alex DeBrinkit is sort of like more, more of like a fire plug kind of a build. Like he's got that, like kind of the, the short, like all the, everything's in the hips and the butt with him. Yep. And, and you, that's the way he plays. He's, he is a fast and aggressive skater. So I think style wise, they're a little bit different, but in terms of the physical growth of Alex DeBrinkit combined with learning what it takes at the NHL to succeed we knew this kid was going to be good. I don't. Mm-hmm. I never thought that he was going to be this good. I thought he was going to be a sniper, a one-dimensional guy who's going to rack up goals and be one of those like you know forty goal, thirty assist guys. He has become an all-around stud player. His ticket for the Olympics has to be punched. I don't know. Oh, there's God. no way he's, he's left not off that on team. team USA. There's something wrong. No, absolutely. I think he's in for sure. And. I, you know, I don't know how many people watched the game last night, but for Alex to bring it to, to have that kind of a performance on national TV is huge. And he got a big sports center retweet. Boy, did he. Yeah, with the uh, the Gordie Howe cat trick, as you said it. So now that ESPN's got, uh, you know, skin in the game when it comes to hockey, they're going to start pr- promoting these big performances. And Alex Dabrinkit's going to become a household name. And that game was on Turner, here. by the way, just throwing that no, out there. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah, it was. Um, by the way, did you see they put a ceremonial penalty box by Rick Tockett? <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> that was pretty that funny. That was good. That was good. They're trying. They're trying. Yeah. They're trying to build that chemistry that the TNT show, sure. uh, the NBA show has. And it takes time. But I, I like what they've been doing. By the way, we're a little bit behind on our ad sponsor. So I want to mention our friend Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant Cook County State's attorney, he opened his own firm over 20 years ago. And he specializes in all forms of personal injury cases. We meant to have Kent on this week, but a little bit of work stuff got in the way. James, uh, working at NBC, is on like perpetual Kyle Rittenhouse watch for when that verdict comes down. So we're going to postpone that till next week, but we will have Kent on the show soon. He's got a ton of new info and insight on the Kyle Beach, Bradley Aldridge situation, uh, and a bunch of other stuff as well. But if you're injured at work, if you're you're hurt due to someone's uh, negligence, give him a call 312-332-2107 or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. That's S I N. S-O-N lawgroup.com. His firm's results speak for themselves with millions recovered for their clients. Again, 312-332-2107 or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. I want to ask you about, um, get a little in the weeds here about uh, the line combinations. And, and I know, you know, we mentioned earlier that uh, they're getting healthier. And I know it was working for a while, but I think I'm out on the uh, Taves, Kubalik, Jujar, Caroline. I think I've seen enough of that whole thing. Do you still want to see Taves with Kubalik? I think so because they got to find a way to get Kubalik going. Like he yeah, hasn't scored in what, like nine games or something. Down spots for sure for the Blackhawks has kind of been his performance recently. That's a guy that you really do need to score a lot of goals, and he only has three, three of them. When yep. was the last time he scored? Yeah, I think it's been. It's been, I think it's been nine games, maybe 10. Uh, yeah, his last goal was against Detroit on October 24th. Yeah, that's looking at he's always been kind of streaky, but you he need a goal scorer. They all are. Yeah, you need more from him. And yeah. I thought he I thought he played a really solid game yesterday. Mm-hmm. But look, I like Kara and that's fine. Kara can be in the lineup. Take Reese Johnson out, play Kara and put Adam Gaudet. Or or puts even like you know I know Hardman missed a game with a stomach ailment or whatever but put Kurashev with those guys find something that works better than Kara you know you've already got Taves who's willing to go into the corners you know uh, I wouldn't say that Kubalik is a soft player either I think no. I know what you're trying to do with Kara but it's just I think it stopped working and uh, they've got to find a way to get Kubalik going I just want more offense on that line yeah it's it's tough I I I know that they're there are some options, and especially when Hagel comes back, I think that's going to open up some options too. But just the way that Philip Kurashev was kind of struggling when the season started and the fact that they are still so wanting to use Dylan Strom in that center role, especially with the way Kirby Dot continues to badly struggle in the faceoff dot, I think you could still, you could still see Dylan Strom moving back into that center role more and more often, but... I definitely have seen enough of um, 
having Reese Johnson in the lineup, especially when Hagel comes back, that is not something I need to see again. I just I think again the big question is just who who do you slot up there with Taves and with Kubelik? It's really hard to kind of look at this roster and immediately see a guy that I would feel comfortable doing that with. I guess I this is gonna sound weird if I say it, but if he keeps losing, you know, twelve out of fifteen draws like he did last night, do you maybe try Kirby Doc on a line with Taves in? Kubelik, I know it kind of gives you a little bit of a similar profile in terms of the physicality, but at least it gives you, a, I would think, a little bit more upside. What would you maybe think of trying that occasionally? I'm not opposed to it. I am not someone who stresses too much about faceoffs, but that's still a lot of draws to lose. Yeah, though. he's getting slaughtered. Now, this becomes easier when Tyler Johnson's back, right? Because it gives you another top six, top nine center. I think what you could do, though, is you put Taves, Doc, and Kubelik as your first line or whatever you want to call it, and then you have Strom, Debrinkit, and Kane as your second line. I think that could work. I want to see more of Gaudet. I don't know why he can't get in the lineup. Uh, I want to see more from Borgstrom. I know he's had kind of a weird year with, you know, uh, he was on the COVID list and just really hasn't found his rhythm with the team yet. He's got two only points in eight games shifts last night, even though the Blackhawks yeah. only had 11 forwards. And it's going to be interesting now that, you know, Borgstrom was a big, like Bowman wanted him badly. And we talked about that Florida trade. He was the centerpiece that Riley Stillman actually worked out really well and was a lot better than people thought he was. But when the Hawks made that deal, the reason they made it was to get Henrik Borgstrom but he just hasn't really found his way here. I wouldn't mind seeing him get some more minutes too. There's a lot of things that I'm willing to consider because frankly, like despite the result of the last four games, it's not like they've been lighting the world on fire. It's not like things no. have been going perfectly. Yeah. DeBrinkett and Kane are working out great. I think you or I could center that line would have some relative success. Which is why I think that putting Strom there wouldn't be the worst idea that's ever been uh, well, hatched. And look, like I know Doc had a solid all around game last night. But at some point, we've got to talk about the production. At some yeah. point, the production has to come. He's been playing night after night with Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinkit, and he had a really nice assist on that Debrinkit goal. Whew, yeah, but he did. This kid, this kid with the skill he has, should be filling the net. He's got six points in sixteen games. That is not good enough. There, there's got to be, be more, man. Line and only have that amount of points. That's not good enough. Yeah, I'm looking at his recent games. He uh, Before his assist last night, he went three games without a point. All of those were centering Kane and Debrinkit. That's almost impossible. Then he had so Again, both ha are almost averaging two points a game this month. Yeah, then he had an assist against Winnipeg, then went one, two, three, four more games without a point. Like, this guy, and for the ice time he gets, I'm not saying I'm worried. I'm not saying I'm giving up on Kirby Doc, but at some point... We've got to see the results. We've got to see him capitalizing. I don't think I've ever seen a guy shoot an empty net goal, shoot a puck over the net on the empty net. That's a first for impressive. me. I, I know I'm not, I'm not worried yet. I'm not calling him a bust. I'm just want to be clear here. I know he's only 20 years old. All these things qualified understood. Right. Yeah. But with the opportunity he's getting with the minutes he's getting, he's got to start producing. And part of me is starting to feel like, are they better off just saying, all right, focus on the offense, right? Play on the power play, play on the top line, and we're not going to use you on the penalty kill. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just it's just um, responsibility overload for Doc at this point. And I like what he did. Again, really solid game last night overall. But I just want to see the points start to come. They need to start coming. You're looking at shots on goal. One, two, four, three, two, one. That's not enough. That's not enough for your top line center playing with uh, the best American born player ever who still seems to be in his prime and one of the best emerging forwards in the game. Yeah. Stats should be finding you. I mean, you shouldn't have one shot on goal when you play 21 minutes, especially with those two guys. You can't tell me that he didn't get open and have opportunities to put the puck on net last night. He absolutely did. Oh, I totally. Think that, yeah. I, I think that that's something that 
he absolutely needs to start doing. I think he needs to start playing with a little bit more assertiveness in his game. I think he passes up shots way too often, and I know that's yeah. very tempting to fall into that trap of, oh, well, just shoot the puck. You, you all have heard the meatballs at the United Center yelling, shoot. In his situation, They're maybe correct. those meatballs have a point. I got to say, saying. by the way, uh, prime meatball, my dad <laughs> texted me last night at like 1230. Doc sucks at face-offs. I think he's regressing. I'm like, well, I can't well, argue with you. Well, he never was you. good at face-offs, so it's kind of hard to regress when you never progress. But it's just like it is my dad's. Face-offs have become my dad's new obsession. It's really funny. And I sent him the you know the old article, like, do face-offs matter? And the conclusion is like, well, probably not. Uh, he doesn't want to hear it. It's, it's now. Nah, I still it's think really they funny. matter enough that you shouldn't be losing more than eighty percent of them. That's correct. I think if you're in the forties, we can talk. Forties is doable. Yeah, forties is fine. And I mean, that, hell, Jonathan Taves won forty-five percent of his draws last night. If if forty percent is the goal, that should be very attainable. Where's Yannick Perot when you need him? Yeah, really. I know. It's just kind of. But again, I remember that, when he worked with Andrew Shaw and Andrew Shaw suddenly started winning some faceoffs. That was probably a real that was a really funny stretch of kind of narrative when they did that. Yeah. I mean, this is what I'm talking about, though, is like responsibility overload for Doc. There's just too much he has to worry about right now. Look, he's number three pick. He should be an important cog on this team. He should be the number one center. All these things are true, but I think we're starting to see him. Well, he's not like being allowed to master anything. Therefore, he's kind of leveling off and not really taking that next step in terms of developing a, a singular part of his game. It's just kind of been he just seems sort of flat from last year to this year. And this is the year where he has to take that big jump. This is the time. And this is when everybody expects it. Look, however old he is now, he's in his third season and he was the third overall pick and he has to start delivering. And I want to be clear. Not giving up on him. Still like Kirby Doc, but I think maybe just lessening his workload a little bit and allowing him to focus on two or three things instead of all the things could be beneficial for him and the Hawks. Thousand percent agree, buddy. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we've got some uh, other stuff to talk about, including two new Blackhawks Hall of Famers. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. love that that music that plays when we bring this show back this is the madhouse <laughs> chicago hockey podcast we've been talking about the red hot chicago blackhawks who are four and oh under head interim head coach wow i just totally blanked on his name Derek king that was highly <laughs> embarrassing speaking of new regimes and all that sorts of good stuff with the blackhawks we need to bring up uh, kyle davidson who was in the headlines today had an exclusive interview with my colleague at NBC Sports Chicago, Charlie Romeliotis, had a one-on-one interview with Kyle Davidson today and discussed some uh, things about the Blackhawks and about the team, and I'm going to pull up those quotes right now. Sorry. By the way, I, you mentioned the music, I, and I should shout out Greg more often. Greg Henkin is the artist behind all of our music on the Madhouse podcast. He does the heavy metal intro. He does all of our little interlude musics, uh, and if you are looking for guitar lessons... I highly recommend Greg Henkin. Go to gregsguitarlessons.com or find him on Twitter at Greg Overtone. He's a great guy. He's a good friend. And if you're looking to learn how to play guitar, Greg is your man. He is also the man behind Bear Down on the Recorder that you hear on the score for now and again. So uh, Greg is a great dude. And if you're looking to learn some guitar skills, you can do them uh, online. You can go to his studio. He's an awesome guy. Gregsguitarlessons.com. We should shout him out more often because he provides our music on a every show yeah um yeah he obviously tremendous music and you've mentioned his guitar lesson abilities before so that is definitely something that i'll do if i ever want to get into uh that realm for sure but uh can't he davidson ended up talking with romeli otis i learned a lot of this interview with uh kyle davidson learned a lot of really interesting things they were interns at the same time uh davidson with the blackhawks charlie with nbc sports chicago just kind of very interesting to read about kind of his progression the way he kind of grew up with hockey and then kind of came into the blackhawks organization and the number of things that he handled and it was really interesting to me i think the biggest takeaway from the story is just how much 
they really have kind of turned the keys over to him this season. The move to fire Jeremy Colleton was something that basically anybody could have done. It was beyond time as you know, we've got kind of gotten into a lot on this podcast, but I did find it very interesting that he really sounds like he's been empowered to do this job and to make moves. And they just hired an assistant coach this week, promoted Mark Crawford to associate head coach. I mean, there was all sorts of things that he's already done that kind of indicate to me that there is definitely a consideration to have him stick around in that job for the long term, even if they bring in a president of hockey ops. And um, he also mentioned handling negotiations on several contracts. He definitely had a lot to say, but there were a few things I did want to point out. Um, I I wanted to point out one thing he said about Derek King, where he was complimenting him on the job that he's done so far. He said, I think the big part of the reason for going with Derek is because he's someone that can come in and make people feel at ease. He can make people, especially the players, at ease because he's been in their shoes. He can help them get out of maybe some of those tense situations that they've been feeling in the locker room and on the ice. It's just a change of pace. I think we did need a bit of a reboot there, and I think Derek's a great personality to bring some new energy into the room. So basically everything that we were saying about Derek King and the way the Blackhawks are playing kind of looser. And a lot of the players have kind of alluded to that. There you go. He said it in black and white right there. Yeah. I think if you've kind of been reading the guys on the beat, writing about the team lately, Derek King is sort of in the, I call it like the college football coach, or maybe for a, for a better term, like the Ted Lasso role where the assistants are to strategists and, and Derek King is there for the, uh, the guidance, the personality, the, you know, keeping things loose. He makes the decisions on who takes the ice when and those sort of things. But from what I'm understanding, Mark Crawford is the guy who's running these practices, right? He's running the drills. He's drawing up plays. He's the one who's really kind of the vocal coach, and he's taken a step up in that role. And you saw that with his uh, sort of promotion that he got the other day when they announced the uh, hiring of Rob Cookson. They also gave uh, Crawford a promotion and title. Um and I think that's a fine role for him, right? Like bring a guy in who's going to keep things loose, going to keep it fun. You know, someone that the players can lean on, someone they respect, the guy who's played the game and at a high level for a long time or did play the game at a high level for a long time. And just, I don't know, I think he just sort of garnered that instant respect that maybe Jeremy Cowton didn't get. Mm. And and the other thing with Cowton too is I think like players are aware of what people are saying, right? Like p- players Always. are aware that that fans want someone fired. And I think part of boot him in the introductions before the first home game. Yeah. I think the players knew. Right. And, and that also kind of leans towards that awkwardness and that tension. And I think just, just the fact that Cowton was let go and they finally tore that bandaid off. Everyone was just sort of like, okay, it happened. Now we can kind of move forward together in a positive way. And you mentioned Davidson, in potentially retaining this role. And I'll say this, like if they came out and said today, Danny Wirt said, we've seen enough. We like Kyle Davidson. We're going to name him GM. I wouldn't be outraged about it. Um, I do want them to kind of do the hockey ops thing, like yep. bring in a czar to oversee everything and then let that guy hire his GM. But I like, look, there, nothing's happened of substance yet, but there no. hasn't been a rush to call up uh, Lucas Reichel, right? No one's panicking. Um, about certain things. I think they're being patient, which is one of the knocks on Bowman was he was always in a hurry to get his prospects up here, sometimes to the detriment of his prospects. Davidson and King have been very solid and clear about the plan for Lucas Reichel. They're going to let him take his time at Rockford and call him up when he's ready. I did like that Derek King mentioned the other day that let him score a couple more hat tricks and then we'll talk about having him come up. I thought that was a really good uh, comment by him. And speaking of Derek King, they did ask uh, Kyle Davidson if they were looking at King as a potential long-term option as the head coach. And he said Derek is going to get a look and he's got a great opportunity to show what he can do for the team, how he wants to play, the style he wants to play, how he's going to motivate, how he's going to hold players accountable. I I I like that idea of at least saying publicly that you are going to give Derek King a look. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think that if you put put it to me right now, 
is he going to be the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks next season? I would say no. I don't think that they're going to keep him. I think they will go with a more veteran presence behind the bench. I don't think that Derrick King is going to be the long-term coach of the Blackhawks, but you at least have to give him a shot. If he can get them to the postseason, say, if he can somehow Oof. turn this ship around to that degree that they end up getting there and you see meaningful progress from players like your Borgstroms, your Gaudettes, your Riley Stillmans, your Caleb Joneses, your Wyatt Kalnicks, all those guys, if you see meaningful progress from those players, I got no problem with them evaluating Derek King by that criteria and seeing whether or not they think he's going to be a fit for the long term. I am totally fine giving a guy who has not been behind an NHL bench before have that opportunity to secure that spot. And I know that everybody's going to hear that and say, Jeremy Collinson hadn't been an NHL head coach before. Look how that nonsense. He was never the interim guy. He was the guy from day one. Right. I think that it is totally fine to let Derek King potentially earn that opportunity. And I'm glad that Kyle Davidson sees it that way. If they get if Derek King leads them to the playoffs, he is a Jack Adams winner. Then what? Agreed. <laughs> then you have you to hire well, him. Well, <laughs> I, I was gonna say you can't fire him, but we've seen Jack Adams winners get fired. No, I think I think I think what will happen is they're gonna hire a hockey ops guy, they're gonna let that person hire their staff, and if Derek King does not get the job, which I'm like you, I don't really expect him to, he will go back to Rockford and be the head coach. I think Derek King is part of this organization. I think, you know, I think Derek King is kind of aware. He seems very aware of his situation, right? Like it doesn't seem like he's sweating it. Like he knows that there's nothing he's going to do. That's going to cost him his job. Right. I I, I think that he's he's not going to be so ticked off if he doesn't get the head coaching job permanently that he's going to say, Oh, I did so much and they didn't even give me the time of day. I'm out of this pop stand. I don't see him doing that either. Me neither. Unless they make the playoffs and win a round or something, then then he's probably got a case. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. I got some Fry the Coop the other day, and it was glorious. I went to the Tinley Park ro- location, got it in the drive-thru, hot and fresh and delicious. Go to Fry the Coop, FryTheCoop.com. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park. What's Fry the Coop? Only the best damn Nashville hot chicken you've ever had in your life. That includes all the staples down there. In Nashville, Fry the Coop is my favorite hot chicken, and I've tried them all. I don't know. Maybe that's sacrilege, but it's the truth. I love it. You will, too. Go visit our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com, and they've got their uh, their beer collaboration, Chicken versus Unicorn. You can get that in the restaurant. Go try it. It's fantastic. All right. Speaking of fantastic, this weekend, we got to see Marion Hosa in a suit at the Hall of Fame. Him and Doug Wilson, two Blackhawks legends. Wilson finally inducted in the Hall of Fame. Marion Hosa, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Just awesome to sort of relive all the Hosa memories. And I don't know if you saw this because no one else did because it wasn't televised. It was so friggin' weird. He scored a hat trick in the Legends game. That is not televised for some reason. What the hell? Why the hell not? Why would you not televise it? You're getting a bunch of Hall of Fame awesome hockey players playing hockey together on a Sunday afternoon. Put the damn thing on TV or... What else is on? Oh, wait, the NFL. Shut up. Okay, but still, then what you do is you record it and then you put the game on TV before the induction. You put the game on at six and then you have the Hall of Fame induction to follow or whatever. It's a no-brainer. Or you just do, like, the highlights of it. No one was able to see anything from that game. I, for one, would have liked to see Marion Hosa play hockey again. His brother, Marcel, Run, was there playing with him. over everybody. Yeah. Just, it is so typical. It's so, t- like, why in the hell would you not televise this thing? God, God forbid actually making hockey into a spectacle. Seriously. Ugh, it's just, I'm trying to get the... Uh, I'm trying to pull the rosters up here. The yeah, the Adidas Hockey Hall of Fame Legends Classic. Uh, this was Niedermeyer, Team Niedermeyer Did versus to break out into a uh, rash from putting his pads on. By the way, no, that was one game. So here, so here's I'm sorry, the, I'm sorry, I'm trying to delete it. Canada Legends versus World Legends. Canada: Scott Niedermeyer, Jerome Ginla, Kim St. Pierre, Mike Gardner, 
Jaina Hetford, Eric Lindros, Larry Murphy, Mike Camilleri, Wendell Clark, Mike Commodore, Shane Doan, Eric Gagne, Erica Howe, Chris Phillips, Robert Regeer, Brent Seabrook, Anthony Kulikowski. No way. Brent Seabrook? Yes. Tampa on the Bay world lightning legend Brent Seabrook on the world team Mike Madano Marion Hosa Nick Antropov Marcel Hosa L. Iafrady Thomas Caberlet Darius Kasparaitis John Leclerc Dmitry Miranov Jason Pomaville Brian Ralston Sergey Samsonov Blackhawks legend Wow Ma- Steve Thomas like these are guys I want to watch play you want to watch Marcel Hosa play yes <laughs> he's the lesser Hosa he's the Valerie Bure of the Hosa family he's <laughs> He's the guy who you have, like the average Joe, you have try the Olympic events, and then you have the actual competitor do it to show how much better they are. Marcel Hosa had a couple decent seasons. I know. I'm just, I'm being facetious. Let's see. I'm looking here at his NHL career. All with Montreal. Oh, he played with the Rangers too. Montreal, uh, four points in 10 games, 13 points in 36. Better than Wayne Gretzky's siblings. Two and 15. Uh, 16 and 64 with the Rangers. 18 and 64. 8 and 36, and then 14 scoreless games with the Coyotes in 07 08. There's your Marcel Hosa update. <laughs> but hit the end of the line in Arizona, just like his brother. But how is that not on TV? That is unforgivable. Agreed. <sighs> so stupid. Man, do you want you know what really clips Jay Zawaski's begonias when you don't air <laughs> stuff like that? Well, I mean, give me the opportunity to see Hosa again. That's all I want. Man, that sucks. It's really dumb. <laughs> It's just really dumb. You know what, this, you know what wasn't dumb? This podcast. This was wonderful. No, it was fun. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. A busy weekend ahead for the Hawks, so we'll be with you early next week for sure. So look for that. Remember, Saturday, November 20th at 4 p.m., I'll be at Bookies in Homewood, 103rd. I'm sorry, Bookies in Chicago, 103rd and Western. Uh, you can't miss it. You're very close to Los Angeles Pizza, my favorite place, too. So you can go there afterwards. Uh, come see Evan Moore and Tab Bamford and me. Buy our books. Talk some hockey with us. It's going to be a great time. So 4 p.m., Bookies, Chicago, 103rd and Western. We will see you there at 4 p.m. But until next time, for my, par- for my partner, James Naveau, I'm Jay Zawoski. This has been the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sins In-Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.